Welcome to the Writer's Room, where the funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny stuff for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, Emmy-winning writer and comedian, Jeff Cesario. Welcome to the podcast, The Writer's Room, a division of Play With Pain. A very exciting episode today. Uh, as you know, we always discuss writing and uh, writer's rooms and writer's processes. And uh, today I'm talking to two people that I did not know seven years ago uh, who came into my life uh, through the Adam Carolla podcast. And uh, let's see, let me get this up. I got to get your credits right because I don't want to screw this up. Oh, I just went full screen. Ah, forget it. Uh, uh, Bob Bryan Bishop, who has a uh, book out called, the book is called Shrinkage. There you go. Which is a tale of uh, his own encounter with uh, uh, the challenges of health in his life. And uh, he's also got a podcast called The Film Vault, which uh, is on every Friday, I believe. Uh, and of course, his cohort in crime uh, from the Adam Carolla podcast, uh, Gina Grad, who also has a book out called My Extra Mom, I believe, which just came out, if I'm not mistaken, which and here's the cool thing. It's about having a step parent uh, for kids, a kid's book about having a step parent. And the greatest thing is the first half is the book. And then the second half is like games and crap you can play with the kid which has just given me a fantastic idea for my own autobiography. Now, <laughs> now I can write half a book and we're on. Correct. Uh, uh, okay. Gina Grad and Bob Bryant. Thank you so much guys for uh, coming on. Uh, let's start with a podcast, the Adam Carolla show. You guys came to it from different paths, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Gina, how, how did you get this gig? Get the gig, I should say. Well, it's I, I kind of bounced around in that world for a while before going full time. And, and I have no sense of chronology or years. So, Brian, feel free to jump in. But we all started at least how, how our lives sort of converged at the now defunct, very defunct 97.1 KLSX. That was um, the FM talk station where they literally were paying people 24 hours a day like morning show salaries. So it couldn't have lasted forever, but it was just a talk station. They weren't paying everyone uh, to have morning show salaries. <laughs> I can assure you that. Oh no, <laughs> trust me. I was, I was very much a minimum wage call screener, but I mean, the people on the air, you were paying people to talk. There was no music breaks. There was no news breaks. It was just talking 24 hours a day. I should know it was 24 hours a day, by the way, because I started out screening the Nelson Salsa show in the middle of the night on weekends, which was our, public access show i believe so yes it was 24 hours a day and yeah, tim meadows character from snl it's 4 51 in the a.m <laughs> that's, right. that's right. perspective it's a 20 minute show <laughs> the absolute most passionate people call at those hours uh then um i started working on the tim conway jr show or the conway and whitman show at night and Brian was doing the Adam Carolla show in the morning. So our paths didn't cross much, but we were all sort of housed under the same roof. Uh, then, you know, we all kind of went our separate ways, but I would fill in very randomly for years. I mean, I found a post from Facebook on, you know, the like, look, look at you now or whatever it's called or memories or whatever from like 2009. <laughs> that's like, can't wait to fill in on the Corolla show today. So just kind of. <laughs> Coming in and out very sporadically for years and then going full-time with them in 2015, a week after I got my full-time morning show host gig on 100.3 The Sound. So it was a rocky and wonderful and insane start. So you were doubling up 
there. Yeah, at the beginning. every I I would get into the morning show at four. I would we would do the show till ten. Then I would go prep news for Corolla. Then I would go over there and do it. And then when that station flipped and became defunct, because we're all Indiana Jones trying to stay ahead of this effing boulder. Uh, then I went nights. Exactly. So I would go to Corolla first and then go right to KFI and anchor the news until almost midnight. So you just you just kind of make it work. So literally someone says to you, I'm guessing, Adam, <clears throat> um, why don't we do this on a more permanent basis? I'm doing no. this. No, not not Adam. Right. No, I his name is. Shot. His name is Mike August. Mike August, of course. <laughs> That's what I meant by Adam. Yeah, it's they're interchangeable when it comes to that kind of thing. Mike is Adam's agent. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, literally his, his Watson. To yeah, uh, what do we? What is he, Brian? His manager, his co- his partner in crime, his con. I think I think that's his official title. Yeah, partner in crime. Partner yeah. in crime. And so his, he proffers yeah. this, and and you snag it. I did. Um, I said, I just got the morning show on 100.3. Can I please have, I don't know, two or three weeks to just get settled in over there? And I believe something to the, this was eight years ago. So I got an email back to me, the fact of great, see you next week. So um, didn't get the buffer that I had asked for, but that was okay. You got a buffer you negotiated for a week. That's not bad. I'm a horrible negotiator. And this is not something I should- this is not something I should be sharing with the public, but I'll ask for what I want. They'll counter saying, go fuck yourself. And I'll say, you got it. See you then. <laughs> Can do. Uh, <laughs> See you in a week. Exactly. All right, Brian. So you're in this mix over at KLSX, KSL, KLSX. And and how do you, are you also uh, 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 from the Mike August um, uh, attack mode? <laughs> No, uh, actually, it's funny. The, the the scenario that you proposed, Jeff, or you envisioned, actually did happen to me because my the the the, uh, the book you alluded to, shrinkage, uh, details my first year with uh, uh, brain cancer, and that that year helpfully fell in the slot between the radio show ending and the podcast beginning, and um, I, I'll never forget. I was in my I was in our old apartment, our crappy old apartment, when Adam called, and Adam rarely calls, as Gina can can attest. And Adam called, this would have been very early 2010 or very late 2000, probably very early 2010, like January or February or something. And uh, the call was, hey, um, putting the band back together, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to, I'm doing this podcast and it's going well, but I really want to do the old format with, you know, you and Teresa Strasser at the time who was doing Gina's job, essentially what became Gina's job. And uh, he's like, yeah, well, we're going to get the thing back up and running and do it like uh, we did the morning show and do it every day. And, and that's, you know, that was the, uh, that was the, 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 the godfather proposition, the offer I couldn't refuse. Um, the offer being for no money at that time, you know, I don't think, I think Adam might've still been under a contract until maybe, I don't even know when, but he was not allowed to like make money for based on the, the terms of the, the, the contract where they let him go. I'm not privy to the details, but I think I I've been that under we, that contract for the we last make a lot of money. I'm though. not allowed to make money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't make a lot of money that first year, but then, you know, things started to take off and it was, uh, it was the golden era. So, you guys come here's what the home listener hears 
when they listen to the Adam Carolla, when they listen to the Adam Carolla show, you guys have both recently departed the show. So we're talking past tense, but for the better part of a decade or so close to it, uh, they heard what appeared to be an effortless mesh of people just conversing. Did they? And that's yeah, good. <laughs> and, and I know from having produced myself that it's just not that easy. <laughs> so you come into this situation. Is there a feeling out period? Brian, is there a feeling out period? How do I add sound effects? Does he want me to do that? How how are your roles defined? Gina, you're the news gal, but what else is required of you? How long does it take to feel out your roles on the show? Well, for, for me, I, I'll be brief because I had the advantage of listening to and um, loving Anderson's contributions on Loveline. Anderson was the he did, was the engineer. He did the drops. He did it all. He didn't talk as much, but he was really good with the drops. And I knew that Adam liked his contribution. So I kind of modeled mine after him. I mean, just being a fan and just being an admirer of his work. So I had a template to go off of. And then there's a whole mess here with Danny Bonaducci coming in and being part of the show for a year. And then when he departed, there was, as you can imagine, a very large vacuum of, of time and sound that needed to be filled <laughs> to some degree, maybe not to that degree, but to some degree. Right. And it was 2008 when Danny departed that I became a more vocal part of the show. And Adam seemed to just like the level of contribution. I sort of found a nice level of, uh, uh, of stasis, I guess. And how do you slide in, Gina? Well, I uh, I liken it when in my brain to, you know, how you sit home and you watch a game show and you call everyone an idiot because you're on your couch and you're going, <laughs> you should have known that. Everybody knows that. I was a huge fan and a listener of Adam's show. I, I'm a huge fan of talk radio. I've been since childhood and people are just just putting my makeup on today. I wasn't listening to music. I was listening to John Mulaney. I, I listened to stand up and Same. comedy. Yeah, to get... Uh, to get my, my my juices flowing, not music. So I listen to Adam every morning. Um, and you think to yourself like, oh, that was funny, or I would have done it that way. And then you're invited onto the show and it's just a deer with an oncoming train. Um, I am very, you know, people are like, hey, this is the way to go through like, ask forgiveness, not permission. I am the exact opposite. I don't want to yeah. have to apologize. I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want to be schooled. I just want to be left alone. So I'm very ask for permission, which is why I was pretty quiet the first couple of years. I was on there to do news. I would, you know, dip a toe. But um, it's funny because I just spoke to my uh, very dear friend, Mark Thompson from the Mark and Brian days, who that's who I was on 100.3 with. And we just talked and he's like, God, there was such a difference seeing you when I came on the first year you were on and the last year you were on. You were just, you know, throwing elbows and saying whatever you wanted. And I was like, yeah, that's what it became because we're all we all kind of made room for each other you know, to an extent. And it became more of a chummy conversation instead of you know, a terrified new person. But the biggest thing that I'll never forget, Adam's long forgotten because I've asked him, but um, I'll never forget a conversation he had with me before I started. And that piece of advice I have taken and will take with me through the rest of my life. He said, 
when you come on the first show, don't act like it's your first show. Act like it's your 200th show. You know, you're not, don't, don't over rev. You're not auditioning, you know, sort of blend in as seamlessly as possible. Go double Dutch. Don't go talent show. Right. And I tried and I took that, you know, it, I took that in, in, in a way that I could take that in. And I really, I never forgot that I thought about it almost every day. And I really liked that piece of advice for when you're starting something new like this. And then he did not talk to you for two and a half years. That's, That's right. That's right. Yeah. He, he really, uh, you know, he, he, I think we all go with, uh, what's familiar and it, Hey, when you've been working with Brian for a decade and you have this new bitch sitting next to you, no reason to involve her for a while. Well, I tell you though, you know, when, uh, when you work with somebody who's, who's very efficient with their words, Oh yes. He just let it roll. I mean, Dennis Miller was like that. It was just yes. like, I would stop and think, geez, we really haven't had a meeting in about six weeks and we're doing a show every week, but it's working. So why uh, yeah. put grease where it's not needed? So Gina, you come into the gig as the news person. Yes. What's your prep? How do you prep? <laughs> well, you according know, you to got your own mini writer's room here. Right. According to Adam and Brian, minimal. That's but true. um, yeah. But <laughs> in in all actuality, it would take anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours a day before the show. Um, so when you like you said, when you're a one woman writer's room and one woman news service, um, you have to cover all the umbrella topics that people are talking about. So stuff that you don't know about. Tough shit. Learn about it quickly because there's going to be follow up questions. So there's politics, there's sports, there's cold pop culture, there's comedy, there's death. And you have to make sure you're combing every single day. And by the way, find some good audio because everybody loves audio. So every day you're you're doing this alone. And by the way, I didn't have a prep service for for people who aren't in radio. Um, a prep service is basically a full news service that a morning show host can kind of look at and sort of rip and read. Um, I was the prep service. So it took a little longer every day. Um, But yeah, it it was an hour and a half to two hours a day and just making sure you had a nice full scope of sort of what was going on. And the whole point of doing the news is to have the host have something to bounce off of. So you're sneakily trying to inform. Well, I guess that's the part that everybody knows. You're trying to inform, but sneakily, it's not just informing the public it's giving adam a springboard to launch into a conversation you're literally bud abbott at that point yeah, exactly you, you know, so you're, you're trying worst... to do a setup that doesn't sound like a setup exactly so the worst thing i could hear in a news segment is so what's next gina <laughs> like exactly well, i mean that's what's going on so before we move <laughs> on to uh 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 how brian organized his michigas uh at what point did you start to either write down or scribble in the margins? I could respond this way if Adam has a response. Did you start writing comedy ticks to yourself or little notes and margins around the side? Or how did you, or did you just say, I will ad lib it. I have enough confidence in my improv muscle that if he throws something my way, I'm ready. Good question. I remember always having a pen and paper, but that was really more just to doodle because my brain sort of needs that release while I'm doing something else. Right. Um, But yeah, I guess every once in a while, if we were going to do some sort of crazy improv or I had a thought, yeah, 
yeah, I would make a, a quick, you know, two word note because it's double Dutch and I didn't know when it would be my chance to speak. So, right. you know, the f- thoughts come in and out really quickly. And when people say, you know, and I, I think Brian's this way too, people would tweet us and be like, oh my God, the thing you said yesterday was so funny. I'd be like, I have no memory of yesterday. Right. Yesterday wow. is now gone. Yeah. I don't know. So the the thoughts, you're moving so quickly. There was no way to keep everything in the in the marble so i think you're right every once in a while we would write stuff down but with adam you have to be so present that it's like you know a shark that sleeps with half their brain you know you can think with a little a little moment but you better be ready to pull out some facocked character or you know talk about something that you might not have been prepared for so again, I'm sure Brian can speak more to that, but that was my experience. Yeah, you got one eye open at all times, right? Uh, so Brian, you come to this. You had, did, were you familiar with the soundboard off of which you work? Uh, you're doing sound drops, which can be can absolutely add a, a crucial texture to a show. Look at Fred on the Howard Stern show, or can be a complete weird intrusion that just throws a monkey wrench into the bicycle yeah. spokes. H- how do you navigate that? How do you uh, trust okay, yourself so, and then just go, was that okay? Or- okay, so like I alluded to earlier, I, I worked on and listen, listened to for years, probably 10 years or more. No, not quite, not quite that long, but I love for a long time. Uh, listen, Loveline and really had a roadmap of how to – sneak in those drops because Anderson was just a genius and I was a fan of his and I was a fan of the format and I recognized that Adam liked those contributions so I had a bit of a roadmap on what would be not too much what would be not too little it was just that sweet spot right in the middle um so I had that but then uh I guess I Early on, I had no technical mastery of the thing whatsoever. I, I it was the first time I'd ever pressed the buttons on those. They're called 360 machines in in the industry, and there were two of them uh, in the radio setup. In addition to the laptop, in addition to the audio vault, so I was thrown into the fire with a lot of technical equipment and and uh, just you know just physical space to me. Like the machines were over here and the laptop was over here and the audio vault was over here. And I was just constant. That's why I stand for every show. Cause I'm used to literally navigating a lot of physical space. Um, How deeply do you gulp the first time you have <laughs> to do that? Well, here's, here's a fun fact. I, I, I abandoned this pretty quick after maybe one or two screw ups on the air, but because uh, the uh, the levels, the potentiometers, the things that you see uh, that you see on the board for uh, um, engineer, board op, or radio, or whatever, um, I wasn't confident enough to remember which one was for which, so I left them all up at the right volume <laughs> all the time. And it only took a couple of screw-ups to realize I probably shouldn't leave those up all the time. <laughs> there were a few sounds bleeding through in those early days where I was like, no, nope, no, I'll go ahead and learn which one's which. That's a whoopee exactly. cushion in an obituary. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and by the way, I never had more respect for Gina's news process uh, than there was a day I, I – have to imagine Gina involved your dad and you needing to be there for some last minute cancellation on the show. Gina couldn't make it, but the news was already printed out. So I think 
had him literally just said, oh, hand the stories to Brian. He can read the news. Now I can read pretty well, but but having to digest the news stories and prepare for follow-ups and know what, you know, reading a news story is kind of boring as opposed to what Gina does, which is Thanks. getting to the heart of the matter and, you know, dicing it up in an interesting way. I'm just reading news stories. I'm like, well, this is why we, this is why we need Gina. You pass the test, you can read. And yeah. thank you for saying that because it it's true. Like, you know, and you even said this to me one time and I didn't forget this when I really? made some yeah i made some you know i'm jewish i complain and i was like how after all this time do i not have a prep service and you know i'm juggling so much and working so many jobs and you said something like you know well i i think it's smart the way you know that you do it the way you're doing it because having to read all these articles you can you have a you know more of a depth of the story and can answer more questions and i was like god damn it you're right that's true i do so- I, you know what that sounds like something i would say <laughs> And that so, sounds and, like a classic uh, retort to a compliment. God exactly. damn it, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> so the only little cherry I would put on top of that, because when the show, when I first came on the show, I was deathly terrified of doing live shows. Terrified. And That's then, so weird because you're so great at it. When thank I walk you. in, I think, well, at least when I would come in and do chat, I would just think, well, at least Gina's on my left. <laughs> God bless you. I and people, I say this, people think I'm joking. People think I'm be- making some sort of humble breath. I don't know what it is. I am fucking shy, people. Do you see me hosting galas? Do you see me running auctions for charities? No, I'm shy. I hate doing that shit. That, that's so- the way someone would say they're shy in the musical Grease. <laughs> that's right. I'm fucking shy, people. Well, the once upon a mattress about the princess and the bee. I've always been shy, <laughs> but I really was scared. And not only that, but we were flying, and I had a very, a very, very complicated issue with flying. For the, so I was just thrown into the deep end. I mean, and Brian knows there were times I would stumble on show like one of the Ramones at the height of their powers because I had to take something to even get on the plane. So I really had to like shake it off and get on stage. So doing that at the beginning and then, you know, assisting and not getting in the way and then doing the news on a on a bar stool when with when you sit, it makes you you have this giant spare tire in front of you that no girl wants. And you're on (laughs) an uncomfortable bar stool for two hours. And I'm probably schwitzing because the lights I got used to it. And I actually ended up loving live shows. But for the first couple of years, it was really scary to do all of that and the news. Wow. Let me talk about your comedy muscles. Oh, jeez. How they... conversation. Yeah. Hey. Good night. <laughs> Stop it. You're both hilarious. And yet in that environment, it cannot be easy to say to yourselves, okay, I got the basic playbook down. Gina, you know how to do the news. You know your own process, even though you don't have the help. You're one per- one woman show, uh, Brian, one person show over there working your thing. Okay. I understand what he likes. I'm in the sweet spot. Now the show has to go up a notch. Now he kind of begins to look to you for a, a, a bon mot for a smart ass comment for something. And you get the moxie to deliver it. When do you decide, okay, I'm going to hit the accelerator a little bit and take it from 40 here up to the speed limit? 
Well, Brian had been doing that long before I got there, so maybe you should. Yeah, I can an- I can answer for Gina. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Early on, Adam, Adam is uh, like like the Dennis Miller example you gave, Jeff. Uh, you know, Adam doesn't give a lot of direct uh, direction or or feedback or whatever. You know, it's more like get out there. And, you know, you'll you'll learn how to play basketball by playing basketball. Um, but early on, he did give me one important tip that I still remember to this day. You know, it was it was in regards to improvising, but also just the conversation in general. And he was like, he he would say, you know, it's all about just keeping the ball in the air. You know, keep keeping the conversation going. But then he said, don't stand outside the conversation and comment on it. Get into it. Which I, you know, that that was. You could, you know, that, I, you know, I was able to internalize that enough to, to me and like, oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. I'm the right now. I'm the smart ass. That's just kind of like, you know, cracking wise about what's going on, as opposed to getting into the comedy, getting into the conversation, being a part of it. It's a Jeff I'm, and Gene, I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about. It's a subtle difference. You're still, you know, cracking wise. But as opposed to commenting ironically on this, right. you are participating. Right, right. That's great. Yeah, That's the the anti uh, Byron Allen comics unleashed. <laughs> uh, I always tease Byron about it because there's nothing else he can do in that format. But it's literally like, yeah, yeah, great, Bill Clinton. Hey, I hear your mother's sick. You know, he would do <laughs> yeah segues to different comics because he had to give everybody their four and a half minutes. Well, and not so, to be pejorative because it's hard. I wouldn't want to do it. It's traffic copping. Yeah. I don't want to be a traffic cop. It's too hard. Yeah, yeah. So, Gina, when do you go, all right, I'm just going to start letting loose a little bit here? Again, for with me, it's always a toe dip. I don't have a, a moment yeah. of glory about anything. I'm a, I'm a very cautious <laughs> gambler, not like Brian. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you should Did you see say I don't have a moment of glory about anything? <laughs> Correct. My next book title. Actually, it'll be the second half. Um, so sure. Where the games are. <laughs> <laughs> it's called cautious tic-tac-toe. Um, so yeah, I I would start commenting, but eh, kind of under my breath and kind of not in a way that was like, you know, overly, you know, verbose, which which was funny because it ended up a fan or a listener ended up creating a Twitter account called Gina's Asides because, you know, he'd be talking to Brian and I'd be saying like, oh, well, that's a something or whatever. And it, you know, a listener would be like, I heard that because they have right. headphones on, but maybe it wasn't, you know, clear in the room because I was, that was me, you know, knocking on the door saying like, you know, do, do you, do you need a third to have, you know, to participate in this conversation? No. Right. Okay. Well, I'll keep, you know, w- w- you know, keeping my uh, coffee warm over here uh, in a good way, you know, in a way that makes me, in a way that makes, builds my confidence. Let's um, make this menage a deux, menage a trois. Exactly. Which I think happened after one of the Thank Dan Dunn drinking shows. slumming that up for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, and I think, you know, I had some old kind of hacky uh, tricks up my sleeve, you know, that I, because, you know, like I, I worked in radio many years before coming on full time. And before, and I was also a, a full time at another prep service, a full-time um, voice person doing, you know, celebrity impressions and hacky bits and jokes and jingles uh, over with with Premier Radio, and I loved that job. That's where I met my husband eventually, and um, you know, I loved doing that. So I had all these kind of little 
fun little. What you know, voice did you use to meet your husband? <laughs> he thinks he's Probably. married to Robin Quivers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the voice I met him doing, he does a Britney Spears that I was I was crying. I was laughing so hard. Wow. But, so um, you literally have some base. Yeah. Doing so, voices and things like that. But you're you're. You're in this environment now where you're being asked to kind of toss stuff out here and there. You're trying to find a sweet spot there. You, you try to and make yet, your move. At some point, Gina, you have to make a move with a character. Exactly. So you I had think- to go, it's now or never. And I'm just tossing this out and hopefully he gets it. Well, exactly. Because I remember sort of early on going, why should he trust me? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I can do or what I what I've been doing or what my skill level is. It's not, you know, he he has no reason to know. So when I was, you know, I like maybe there was a early on a story about Howard Stern and I was like, oh, I. I can do Robin. Okay, maybe, you know, so I'll jump in and say something like, oh, you know what it would sound like if Robin, you know, really kind of a a, a very rudimentary setup just to be able to be like, I, I do some other stuff or some, you know, <clears throat> hacky right. Gwen Stefani bit just to get him laughing, get him comfortable with the the, the idea that I can bring more. That's Jeff, beautiful. we should also address, sorry to interrupt, but we should also address the, like, not the elephant in the room, but I think Gina would agree with me. The, the, the the delicate skill of sidekicking for Adam Carolla is, you know, the most the most unforgivable sin. And again, this is not Adam, you know, admonishing us, but like the most unforgivable sin you can do on the show is like derail one of his rants. You know what I mean? That's like his bread and butter, what he's known for. The listeners love it. You know, they will get tweets the next day. Oh, I love their rant about so and so. And it's right. like that's the real delicate dance is. How do you make this a conversation if it is? And if so, yeah. how do you contribute, disagree, challenge, whatever, whatever is going to make the podcast better without without violating rule one? Again, this is not expressed as rule one, but you, just, you understand this is the bread and butter of the show. You know, you don't you don't uh, uh, punch uh, the aforementioned Bud Abbott in, in the gut as he's doing who's on first. You know, this, this is yeah. what the people are here for. So that that is a uh, that that makes it a like I said a delicate balance. It's a, a very, sixth very good sense. Point. It really is. Yeah, a sixth sense that combines all the other five senses, rams them into your stomach, and creates an instinct. And a hundred learn when to use the instinct and when to hold it back. It's very tricky. Any great comedian, and Adam is a great comedian, uh, has a process. And when you're working with them, it's our job to figure out that process and understand it. But there is kind of nothing more fun than seeing someone who is oblivious to the process <laughs> just wait in and I'll I'll refer you back to when, a rant. Bam. I'll, ref- I'll refer you back to when um Adam and Danny Bonaducci were partners. <laughs> I think Brian could agree it was uh it was a just a cacophony of sound and and feelings and remember I was listening as a listener. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's you know that's the Adam. You, a... you know Adam's pace and you know his. You know if you listen to him enough, you're like, well, here we go. This is you know this is going to be an epic rant. And then Danny would jump in and it's like, oh, I, I guess it's not going to be. <laughs> so I'm saying this as somebody who truly and personally and unironically loves Danny. I I was a call screener. I got to know him. He was a wonderful guy to me. He was helpful. He was generous. He was lovely. 
That being said, at night, which I think Adam and my my guy who I was playing for at the time and, you know, my one of my great friends, Tim Conway Jr., um, Adam and Tim, I think, had a really loving relationship. And I think one of the things that brought that to the forefront is we had a bit at night on the Conway and Whitman show called Will Danny Kill It? And we would play clips from the morning where was Adam- it Will Danny Kill It or How Will Danny Kill It? No, it I, was- I think the- <laughs> the joke was, "Will Danny kill it?" And the the joke was that it was always every yes. time. Yeah, okay. There you so, go. um, so Adam would be saying something, put a perfect button on the joke on the story. It's done. Move on. And then we go, "Will Danny kill it?" Play the audio. Danny comes in with something that kind of derails it, and then cue the pots and pans falling to the floor. <laughs> And I think that I I imagine that really tickled Adam when we started that. Now, was our program director a big fan of that? (laughs) No. (laughs) Hey, but you got to do it. You know, again, you trust the instinct. Uh, Let's move on to the podcast uh, booth, which you both actually recently did. Uh, And and, and into books, uh, because you're both authors now. This is a whole different writing process. I'm working on a book myself, a kind of a kid's book. And um, it's it's like, uh, oh, my God, every word is like a decision. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> it's just the or and. What do I do? Yeah. So there's so many ramifications to, to taking what we were talking about, that that sixth sense, that instinct. And kind of putting it off to the side, maybe saving it for a, a later draft. Because for me, at least, the first processes are just kind of getting it out there. Brian, l- let's start with you. Your book's older. That's why we'll start with you. Okay. Uh, fair. <laughs> uh, this is a massively personal story. Yeah. How do you decide? I'm going to, when do you say, I think people can get something from this? So I'm going to write a book. Uh, Probably. Probably when Teresa Strasser's book agent reached out to me and said, hey, man, did you think about writing a book? Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't have any, I mean, maybe in a very general sense, but I didn't have any specific, like, I'm going to make this into a book. Um, and just to catch your audience up, if they don't know, like I said, the uh, the book is my first year with cancer. It sounds like a kid's book. No, it's, it's the first year from diagnosis to that, that one year mark of, of, of starting recovery. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, really personal. Like you said, I, and I, I'm sure I've said this before, but I was just trying to make a book for our audience, you know, for the, for people who knew me and people, you know, who would support and buy the book and maybe get a couple of laughs out of it and learn something they didn't know about the, you know, the journey that I was on. Cause I wasn't on the podcast every day at that point. That was that weird in between time between the radio show was canceled and the podcast started up again, almost exactly a year. Um, and so that was, uh, that, that was my goal at the time. And I, through just luck or circumstance or a divine intervention, all those things, the book has really been a resource for people who are going through that first year or not even themselves. I get emails and tweets all the time from people who are like, Hey man, just picked up a copy of your book for my dad or my cousin or a friend or whatever. Or can you sign this for my, you know, nephew? He's going through something similar. And it's like, I never expected it to be, helpful to people. I, 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 that's awesome. And I'm really glad it did. I thought I was just going to, you know, make some stupid jokes and 
whatever, but it was, uh, it, it exceeded my expectations in that respect. And I, if you're I in that process, you've got an agent, literally, you've got the potential to make money. Uh, and it's laid out in front of you. Then you sit down to start writing. Is there a moment where you go, I, I can't do this. I can't relive this. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, I, I assume Gina will, will feel, Gina, I'm assuming we haven't talked about it, but I assume you probably went through similar things, which is we both struggle with ADHD. And that is a real problem. It's a gift and a curse for an author because what people don't understand about ADHD is you can have these intense, long periods of concentration. And that's great for writing. I, I wrote entire chapters in a day because I was just so focused and locked in. But then there's an equal number, if not more amount of time where you're just distracted and you, you have an idea for this and idea for that. And you have ideas and you don't know how to get them out. And the advice I would give to someone who's in a similar situation is when inspiration strikes, Take advantage and just write. And and it may not make the book. It may not be good, but you have something to work around. Now you have something on paper or on the screen or whatever in front of you and you start it and you're in. And like I said, you may revise it. You may scrap it. It may, it may never see the light of day, but you have something to work with. Interestingly, that is the basic way to write a joke as well. Get something down yeah. and now let's beat it. That's what you hear in a writer's room more than any other phrase. Okay, it's there. Let's beat it. Let's make it funnier and funnier and funnier every time you're in or more poignant or more realistic, whatever whatever it may happen to be. Gina, um, how was your process approaching this book? Because you're living it. Yeah. And you're living it every day. And the basic premise is it is insanely time consuming. <laughs> One yes. of the premises. And then yes. you go, oh, I think on top of that, I'll write a book about how time consuming it is. Yeah, but I my experience was quite different uh, from Brian's because nobody reached out to me. This was something mm -hmm. that I had been sort of brewing in my brain for, you know, I've been in my little stepson's life since he was two. So, you know, f over five years and we've, you know, moved in, all moved in together, you know, I don't know four, three and a half years. We've been married for over a year and a half. And I just got thrown into the deep end. And I went looking for a book that I could read to him to explain who I am and what the hell I'm doing here. And I couldn't find it. So I wrote it because I know that I'm not alone in feeling as a stepmom, like useful and useless at the same time and not really knowing, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, not really knowing your place, you know, in the family right. and what that is. And that looks different for every family and having this little person who's already been through turmoil um, now be introduced to another parental fit. Like what, what are we doing here? You know, can I just stop and digest the, the new normal before we get to a newer normal? So I really needed to do this. I felt very like called to put this out there and the children's publishers that I took it to, pretty much said the same thing, which is we love the idea. It's a little niche. Can we broaden it and just talk about like parents in general? And I was like, it took me one Google search to read that there's 118 million Americans with a step relationship. Niche? How exactly? And I never really got a, a coherent response from anybody about that, but nobody, there were no takers in terms of, of the book as I saw it. So I did it myself. 
And yeah. I've gotten a really nice response from it. I'm, a, you know, pretty much a one woman show. Um, my my dear friend is the uh, is an artist and uh, the art director at a very fancy schmancy private school. And she illustrated it and just does like really like vintagey throwback fun illustrations. You know, just that's that's us showing them a picture. Oh, just great. just really kind of fun yeah. like mid century vibe, and. I've already gotten so many great responses from, you know, parenting blogs and from listeners just being like, where was this book when I needed it? I was like, I don't know. It wasn't there when I needed it. And you, identi- I- you identified a, a, a deficiency in the market <laughs> and you, you took care of it yourself. Exactly. And I went on um, with Adam and Chris the other day and it was really fun. And I wanted to address the elephant in the room because so many people were already sort of poking fun at me. And I said, don't worry, I'll I'll say it. Don't worry. And I said to Adam, like, I know how you feel about children's books. And I know that you feel that anyone can shit them out. And to an extent, you're right. But this is not, and God love a dragon who loves tacos or dinosaurs love cupcakes. It's a great book. They're all great. But this is very specific. This is a specific kind of roadmap for a specific kind of family. And he understood that a hundred percent. I, I, it, it's, it's, it's kind of sneaky because the purpose of the book, like I said, rudimentary, you know, people say, well, does it have to do with, you know, the challenges? I'm like, no, this is an introductory book for a little kid to get to to get comfortable with the idea of another family member. This is not about dark times. This is about the wonderful things that can come of an extra person watching in, you in the headspace of the kid. How did you get there? Um, well, it was easy. I had one in my house and I focus group, right? Yeah. (laughs) I literally, literally everything in the book is something that we experience all the time in our house. So, you know, in, uh, it's a play on the word extra. So every, an extra mom just has extra stuff. It's not in place of anyone. It's not a threat to your primary relationship. Just extra, extra eyes so you don't get lost at the carnival. Extra hands to do science experiments, which we were doing all weekend. Just extra everything. You know, we talk about like the air and the spare. Like, we're the extra. We we will right. come in and we will add to. You know, I'm. we talk about radio. Think of it like the third chair. So not only is it to... Uh, you know, offer kids some comfort and and have them know kind of what they can expect, but to also show stepmoms some like real free and easy ideas that I think will speed up bonding and to show the primary or biological mom like no one's trying to replace nobody. This is right. literally just we're all coming in because we all have one purpose and it's this kid, you know, because they're vulnerable. And then the second half of the book, like you said, is all questions and challenges and funny would you rathers because that's what we do in our house we could do five hours on would you rather have hands where your feet are or feet where your hands are these are questions that instead of just sitting there at dinner going how was school i don't know i forgot which is what i get most of the time right dig right. into the back of the book and it's also sort of sneakily written because the first ones are very silly and surface and that there's fun challenges and by the very end the questions it, it it's titled right there go deeper what do you do when you're mad what was the last time you got mad what did you do when you were scared what do you wish your new parent knew about you what would you like them to do differently these are the questions we save to the end so i really this this book took a year and a half for a reason and i really so far people have really been kind the way they've responded to it that's fantastic, and a and a great way to weave a fairly intricate agenda into very clear, uh, simple 
uh, approaches. That really. was the plan. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, can I ask you another question? Yes. Good. So, Jeannie, you probably, I, I've always said, and you probably experienced this more because you you self-published, which means you're you're doing all the work. Oh yeah, writing the book is when you've done when you're done writing. That's half the battle. <laughs> there is way, and that was my experience. I can only imagine you it probably two thirds of the work does not involve writing. Glacial. Everything yeah. is because everything is out of your hands. The illustrations, the setting up your LLC again, the moving, you know, the setting up your accounts for publishing, your K- Amazon KDP. Publicity. Gl- glacial. And that's why I'm so grateful to people like Jeff and Adam and all the wonderful people that have had me on you, Brian. Uh, okay. I revealed the name of the book on your show, which I felt very special doing. Um, it's It's definitely, ironically, it's a group effort when you're doing it by yourself. Yeah, that that is daunting and a hell of a challenge, but a great lesson in virtually any area of show business. Eventually, you're probably going to do the bulk of the work yourself. Absolutely. Um, And for anyone who says, how do you do a podcast or write a book? I want to make lots of money. (sighs) I, I, I can't stop laughing, especially now knowing both. I can't. There's no way to answer that question with a straight face. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Comedically, last thing. Uh, Brian, who was your influences when you were younger? Who were your influences? Who, who made you go, eh, I like that. I think I can do that kind of thing somewhere, somehow. Oh, wow. Okay. Not at being prepared for this at all. <laughs> I can tell you in my formative comedic years, like ages 11 to 13, you know, that sort of like 10 to 14 or whatever. Uh, it was um, Saturday Night Live. You know, specifically like, you know, Dana Carvey and uh, Mike Myers, but the whole, I, I've loved for all those performers. That's a great um, cast. The far side, I, I, I loved reading. I loved that clever, you know, single panel. You get the, the joke is contained in a single panel. That is the joke. And, and it has to hit instantly and recognizably, but also be clever. Um, I read every far side back in the day. Um, Calvin and Hobbes, maybe when I was a little older, like, you know, 13, 14 ish, like really, really landed and really hit. It was never, it was never, I, I love stand up, but it was never stand up. It was always right. the written, the sketch, the, 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 the comic strip, you know, so those, those, uh, probably those. Gina, how about you? For me, it was stand up. Uh, we didn't have a lot of babysitters growing up, but we had a lot of cable. So <laughs> before Comedy Central became Comedy Central, it was the Ha Network. Yeah. Huh. So that th- we were left in front of the TV for a, a while, uh, you know, especially when my mom was a single mom. My parents got divorced. Um, and I, my brother and I just ingested stand up. So at the time, and that's why it's so fun to hear, you know, your connections, Jeff, because it was Dennis Miller first, second, and third place on the podium. We loved right. Dennis Miller. There was, that's like when little girls were like, oh, you know, Joey Lawrence, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I'm like, but have you considered Dennis Miller? And I'm nine. Um, so, and and again, in those, it was Wendy Liebman, which was so much fun to have her on the Hilarious. show because I was like, yeah. you don't know, you know, Elaine Boozler, Paula Poundstone, Rosie O'Donnell, John Stewart. These were people I was watching in the mid to late eighties, early nineties. And they had a profound effect on me. And it was also the way my dad and I 
communicated. We only, even up to the day he died, we only communicated through Simpsons lines. So, you know, that comedy and humor was the, was our language in our house. And so stand up was very important to all of us. You know, That's do you know where our, our axes intersect? Sorry, Jeff, our axes intersect cool. is probably Dennis Miller because him doing a weekend update on SNL. Absolutely. That's as good as no one's ever done it better. And no, I agree. We had and here's him. a little tidbit. I yes. used to, uh, nobody when he first started on SNL, the entire writing staff was too busy doing sketches. Uh, Herb Sargent was the only guy who would, who would help with. Uh, update jokes and you got to do that every week and you have because you're appearing on saturday night you have to have the best jokes about what just happened and so now I was they just have doing their the own writers team they have a two totally separate writing team yeah. they have everything they need now yeah yeah right uh, back then i would be on the road and i would just ride a joke out for three or four days and i would go this joke is going to be dead for me in a couple of weeks, but because Dennis and I were friends, because our writing processes were almost exact, we were two sides of the same coin. Um, he was just darker and, you know, I was still getting, hey, from Wisconsin. Uh, I would ship him the joke. I'd go, Hey, if you can use this, use it. Cause I, you know, the Russian trawler is dead for me in, right. in, in like, I probably can't even use a third show Saturday. So go for it. Uh, and I would slip in jokes and that sort of cemented our friendship. And that's what made him think, hey, maybe Jeff should produce my HBO show when it came rolling around. Wow. Yeah, nice. pretty wild. The power that's of jokes. Crazy. I'll never forget. We had him on the phone a few times, you know, on the Adam Carolla show. Sure. And somebody at some point, sorry, I, I, by the way, I know I have a little cold and you all have been very gracious not to bring it up, but I, I will. Um, but somebody said, hey, I think Dennis Miller may have referenced you on his, and that's all I needed to hear. I looked it up. I went, what are you, what are you, what are you, and I, I said some some dumb shit. I don't know on on the show, and he referenced it and laughed like did a little like, huh. and I could have been hit by a bus after that because that's the thing. I mean, that was yeah. childhood Gina. Dennis Miller has heard childhood Gina's voice. Ch Dennis Miller was everything in our house. So it, when we, you know, when you get older and you meet the people you idolized, it it can be soul crushing and it can be really fun yeah that's impressive i can just hey gina gratelina is that okay if i sit here babe <laughs> he was the best all right guys we're done i want you to uh plug your own plug so i don't screw it up brian the book if you uh have not uh uh gotten your own copy of shrinkage uh, i will happily sign one for you uh, if you go to brianbishop.com, Brian with a Y, uh, get your uh, copy directly from me. I'll sign it, personalize it, whatever you like. And uh, don't forget, if you love movies and uh, don't mind me, uh, there's a movie <laughs> podcast every Friday called The Film Vaults featuring Gina Grad, a uh, recent episode. Look that up. That's maybe a month old. So uh, check that and out. you have guests every week? No, actually, we have very rarely have guests. Oh. So that was kind of fun to have Gina. Thank actually God, because I was starting to get a little. That's no, it is. Gina like might have been the first guest we had in like two years. No, with COVID, it was probably three years. Yeah. So yeah, that was a real that was a real honor. And by the way, um, I noticed that you did a show recently about the best Jews in movies, and nobody reached plug. out. Nobody reached out. So nobody yeah, listen to the film ball because there's tons of topics. That's true. Now that's a true Jewish trait there. You you interrupted <laughs> your own plug with a complaint. 
appreciate that. That's impressive, Gina. Uh, right, yeah, the, the book is titled My Other Mom, correct? My my extra. extra mom. My extra mom. My extra mom. It is available in Kindle, hardcover, and paperback on Amazon. It'll be another retailer soon, but right now it's best to just get it on Amazon. Search My Extra Mom. And if you get it, I would really appreciate um a nice review because Again, it's a one-woman show. It makes a big difference in the Amazon algorithms. I've even gotten so, uh, so um, I don't want to say desperate, slutty. I don't know. I haven't found the right word. Um, I'm also open to, if you support this concept, I would appreciate a nice review because I really want this book out there. I think it's made a difference to people and I hope it continues to. My Extra Mom on Amazon. Gina Grad, Bob Bryan, thank you for coming on the Writer's Room. Uh, what a great time. Uh, hopefully we'll see you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Uh, Guys, catch my album uh, streaming everywhere. It's called, uh, what the hell is it called, Gary? What was I thinking? There it is. (laughs) I can't even remember that anymore. But streaming everywhere. And it's really doing great on uh, the Sirius XM uh, clean comedy channels, uh, uh, the uh, Jeff and Larry's uh, channel, and of course, uh, Laughs USA. So you can uh, even email them or text them and say, hey, I was enjoying those cuts. Play more of them. And thanks to Sirius for doing that. Uh, let's see. Uh, that's it for me. That's what I'm plugging. I'm plugging the album, plugging that guys. Thanks again for coming on. And, uh, folks next week, uh, I am hoping to have, uh, some sitcom writers here, uh, knock on wood. I'm going to, I'm working on it right now. We'll see. Uh, talk to you soon.